0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of this podcast series by the Program in International Nutrition at Cornell University, or as we call it, the PIN Podcast. In this series, trainees in PIN interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. Today on the podcast, our interviewers include myself, my name is Sam, and I am a postdoc in PIN, as well as some other PIN trainees. Hola todos, yo soy Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Krupa. Hi, I'm Nidhi. Today, we are very excited to have with us Dr. Vani Sethi, Nutrition Specialist for Adolescent and Women's Nutrition at UNICEF India, where she works on advancing adolescent and women's nutrition through health systems via academic partnerships as the mode of technical assistance. Vani is an expert in public health nutrition and has 20 years experience in working from the grassroots to national levels for advancing access to nutrition services for women in marginalized tribal, urban, and rural Indian communities. So welcome to the podcast Vani
1: thank you for having me here
0: yeah thank you so much for speaking with with us today uh, to start us off we would love to hear more about your earlier career trajectory um, perhaps how you started as a graduate student and kind of what brought you into the field of nutrition
1: let's um, talk about a career trajectory and by definition what does a career mean for some it means a job for some it means a path now for me Public nutrition has been a life path, a life choice uh, of how I would like to spend my eight, 10 hours a day of my life each day. And more than um, being a master student or a PhD student, my career path in this field started in middle childhood while I was in the hills. And I used to work and volunteer in creches in the construction sites of our buildings and schools and there I would feed children while their moms were away. And that brought me very close to the deprivation. It also brought me very close to women at work. And um, I started feeling for the deprived. I was in a privileged school run by British nuns. I would volunteer there. At the same time, landslides happened in the hills in the school that I was in. I started being a part of the fundraising of feeding people uh, who were affected by the landslide. And then I started realizing each time I had these uh, patterns of continuously working in food, working with children and working with the deprived. But I realized I didn't have the tools or the aids to do anything. But I realized this is something which I'm leaning on to. Finished my schooling. I was a science student and the only options that you have if you're not into medical is paramedical, which is nutrition in India, which is considered the next best. And I landed up for my bachelor's, master's, and then a PhD in Department of Nutrition Lady in College. I did my uh, clinical dietetics. I started working in hospitals. As a dietitian, I kind of didn't like it. I, somewhere I've missed that human connection. It was going and meeting only the sick and deprived. It was very hands-on, but I somehow felt that, you know, I, I think I can do more. So I took my master's dissertation on complementary feeding again. And again, I realized, now when I was looking back, I realized the connection while working as a volunteer, in crashes to supporting landslides to again doing my master's thesis. Again, I was coming back to complementary feeding and children. Uh, in our summer placements, you know, we get to work with international organizations and I was placed with Care India. And again, I took up mangoes as a means of complementary feeding and different recipes of it in poor deprived communities. And we had to live in the community. So you were off from your Reebok shoes to your chapels, living in the most deprived communities. And my My uh, teachers then were not the academic teachers, but people who were working in care, tough people working in the field, day in day out making things happen. And it was very tough And I somehow, again. In those environments, I realized, I think I can do it. If I live this experience for 10 days in the summer placements, and I'm able to devise a project and get things done, that means I think this place is for me. So my career in public nutrition was not about the work, it was about learning the craft, with the masters of the craft and trying to find a path of contributing back in a mission for the underprivileged. I didn't know too much of UN agencies at that point but what I knew was that knowledge is oasis and if you really want to learn you need to be the masters of your craft. I didn't complimentary feeding in my masters and I realized no I need to know more. Uh, I need to do a PhD. I don't know methodologies well. I wrote a fellowship request. I got some fellowship. I wrote a project. I got a grant and I started my PhD but between the PhD and the masters. I worked as a research assistant in AIMS and that's where my career career path started. I learned um, how to write papers, how to write grants. And I was in all Institute of medical sciences. I call it my pre-doctoral phase of learning the art. And they offered me a PhD. And I said, no, I don't want to be in a hospital environment. I somehow get very affected. I want to do something out there. And that experience with Care India was back again with me. And I started working. I got a consultancy opportunity, which was my second career then in terms of money. With AD linkages in there, which on tips methodology of improving maternal nutrition and complementary feeding, and then I realized that you know my interest is more about how to make things happen and not just what part of it. Okay, breastfeeding. Okay, complementary feeding. But how do you get it done? What are the approaches? I started studying more. I started reaching out to people. That was a time, you know, between your master's and a PhD, you're also trying to find your PhD topic and you're also trying to find your ways into the world. What is it that you want to do? And I said, OK, you know, I want to work in the most deprived communities, but they are also happy. They have also nourished children. What is making them different? And then I started doing my PhD on positive deviance. Uh, and I wanted to learn it from the best of the best. So I started Googling out who are the people who publish work. And that landed me to be linked to Monique Sternen and Judy Ubel of The Grandmother's Project and in Tufts University. And they helped me with my proposal writing. They didn't know me, but they helped me. And uh, I wrote my proposal. I registered with Lady Owen again. But I was very clear that my professors are going to be across the world. Whoever can teach me will teach me. And it's not just going to be of that college. And I was registered with Lady Erwin. I needed to work in the poorest communities because positive deviance, children, they live in, they're basically poor, but they are practicing something good. So they're well nourished. So I needed to live in the poorest of poor communities and be there. So I relocated to Agra. I started staying there. My fellowship was very little and I needed to write a project. So I got latched to medical colleges and they became my co-guide I wanted more money for sustainability and learning more so I got attached to another urban nutrition project that was happening and I started writing their reports to learn about urban programming so my initial 10 years was about learning the craft I mean that's how the culture is in India at least it wasn't then the first 10 years of life is based on what you know the remaining is based on whom you know but first get what you know very right. And I really focused a lot of my effort, uh, right from my master's to my PhD on learning every aspect of nutrition programming for all the life stages and different methodologies of doing it. And my PhD was on uh, the effect of uh, nutrition counseling by positive deviant grandmother groups on breastfeeding and complementary feeding uh, in the rural areas of Agra and i stayed there for six years i was staying near the community because it required taking birth weights within 48 hours and i still remember i was there as a part of the delivery because if i was not a part of the delivery i couldn't get the birth weight and i get a call from my father and he gets a call from one of my friends who's got through an ivy league and he asked me what are you doing i said i'm helping a birth attendant deliver a baby and i get a kind of a not a blast but what social work are you doing? Your friends are going to Ivy League and you're sitting in this village delivering babies. And I said, forget it, forget it. One day I'll hire those people. You see, you see, I'll hire these kind of people. Let me be a master of my craft. So I was convinced because a lot of people were reaching out to me. I was talking to the best professors. I was reaching during my PhD time to people in the who's and who, and they were responding back. So there must be something I was doing right. And i continued my phd the moment i finished my phd i i started working um, in i got through u.n and whatever i'd learned in all these years then i started my u.n life the initial 10 months uh, 10 years sorry of grilling paid off and i and then i was in a very responsible position in one of the field offices of u.n to support policy programs implementation research capacity building on nutrition, not just now for one age group, but for all. And all those experiences I had in the past, they all came together and made me more able to contribute to that role uh, and that UN life. And since then I have been with UN in uh, one state, then another state, then working with the government on uh, cash transfer schemes, working with UNICEF on various approaches to advance girls and women's nutrition, both at state level, with 14 state offices that we work with, uh, with partners and also nesting impact evaluations to see how things work, because you are a researcher at the core, so uh, not since 10 years i've been now with uh, unicef it's my 10th year at national level uh, working to advance girls and women's nutrition designing policies programs job aids linking with partners and it's been a i feel a fruitful journey and unicef has provided that convening platform to also be a new knowledge broker but also to support the government in every possible way so all these experiences paid off but the underlying current was learning And wherever I felt I needed to learn more, and to date I do that, I go back and volunteer. So if I needed to learn about a CMAM program, which I felt I didn't know, I would just shut down, uh, go for a volunteership and say, you don't need to pay me. I'll be there. I'll document something for you because I do have a flair for writing and you teach me. And I learned that and come back. So I like to learn by doing it rather than reading. And I think that becomes easy because we are practice researchers at the end of the day. We read, we convert that into solutions, advocacy messages, um, support the government in then designing programs to then layer those interventions and then see its impact at scale, not just for one village or two villages, but for 30 million pregnant women and over. 140 million adolescents across the country so it's a huge responsibility but every experience matters so i think my career path has been a learning path and it continues to be that path and i try to surround myself with people who can provide me that opportunity to learn and be inspired with because i have to spend maximum part of my day with them so i need to be inspired i need to learn i need to be challenged and i need to challenge the surroundings and environment that why are we doing what we are doing and if i'm spending my day over so many hours and it's not leading to being the voice for the most deprived for leading to any change for finding a way if there is no no way then i feel my time is wasted so whether it's the power of the pen or my voice or my foot it needs to be worth my time And it needs to be centered around whatever I'm doing, is it really helping advance the rights of women and children, especially those who are in the most deprived communities? That was a little long answer, but my career is my life path. And I like to keep it tough because the people who we work for are living in the toughest environment. Thank you so much, Dr. Shati. And I think there are so many takeaways from your career path. And now could you please briefly tell us about what a day uh, looks like for you as a nutrition nutrition specialist at UNICEF India and from that work experience, what do you think are the current main priorities or challenges in the field of public health nutrition? So a large part of our work right now is to support design and rollout of nutrition flagship programs to deliver services with quality through the centers of excellence approach set up in academic institutions. And a lot of my time goes to handhold and mentor staff in these institutions to support government programs with data analytics, trainings, evaluations while also supporting state UNICEF colleagues with technical responses, capacity building, advisory leadership. At present, uh, just to tell you what I've been really engaged with these days, we've just completed a nested evaluation on women's and girls nutrition. A lot of my time is going in designing the analytical frameworks, putting research and practice teams together to come up with the papers and the final findings to present to the government uh, for scale up. On the other um, work entails doing field monitoring trips, seeing how things are working on ground. On one hand, to be in the corridors of the government to advocating for what's working, what's not working and what can be done. So overall, I think, data evidence and research are important pillars of the way i have curated my functioning for technical assistance for girls and women's nutrition programs uh, because what we really do is we these nutrition interventions are embedded in national flagship programs and these programs need to be delivered with quality as well as with coverage to basically ensure that these interventions are delivered at 100% coverage and to do that you need supplies you need systems you need financing you need information systems so a lot of our work goes in setting up better information systems setting up better systems to track financing and All that has data, evidence, and research as important pillars. In all my work, as I've mentioned, even day-to-day, what I've engaged is on how to get things done and more. In terms of priorities, what I look at is that because I'm working in the area of girls and women's nutrition right now, I'll give you priorities on those areas right now. You know, Simplifying assessments in the field, looking at the triple burden of malnutrition, finding out ways to screen test and treat at scale overweight obesity in women especially in pregnancy, what to do when, um, you know, you don't have pre-pregnancy PMIs available, then how can you advise on gestational weight gain uh, based counseling? Are there simpler methods of uh, HP assessments in the field? Uh, How can nutrition and mental health programs for women be intertwined together? How to do, and then from a program side, I think there are lots, lots, lots of questions and how we do our questions uh, in, nutritionists that we sit with policymakers and they provide the policy questions and we set up research team to answer those questions. Some of them is how to track budgets and expenditures. What could be the alternative ways of reaching out to IFA supplies when supplies stockouts are there? How can you set up early warning signs? Very simple things, but How to get things moving on ground? Should we do um, uh, individualized, personalized counseling, or should it be a geographical targeting? Uh, Do spot feeding programs uh, lead to improvements in reduction of undernutrition, or are they actually doing more harm? And these days, I'm I'm more and more and more interested in the other burden of malnutrition that is overweight and obesity. And I have lots of questions around that. How can we counteract the advertising and lay blame of tackle the unhealthy food environments which surround young people and women? And what are the uh, progressive handles and policies that are in place? What are the gaps and what can we do to actually move the agenda forward on the food environments and how they can be made more conducive for healthy choices? So there are lots of questions both in relate food environment programs and also basic research. How do you tackle moderate anemia in uh, pregnant women? Who's monitoring whether the women is actually having two IFAs? MMS if uh, versus IFA for SGA is known, but what about anemia? If you put MMS into the ground uh, as IFA, if the if the vehicle itself is not robust, then whether you put an IFA or an MS, the same challenges happen in the field. So my, I think the question, as of now, a lot of research questions are around program science. And there is huge opportunity to answer them through multidisciplinary research. And the way we do it is that we sit with policymakers, researchers alike, and we take the policy asks from the government. And then we set up teams to answer those questions and then feed it back to the government. One question which I'm engaged these days is that moving from an individual to a community cash grant program through livelihood missions and do inclusion of livelihood missions, along with health systems, lead to any compound effect of delivery of nutrition interventions for girls and women in the most deprived communities, because in the most poorest communities where we work in and we have our evaluation set, you have multiple deprivations and one system doesn't work. You need food, you need health, you need water and sanitation. But do multi sector programs work in the most deprived communities? And does latching on to livelihood missions make any difference? Or is health program enough? So uh, these are um, some of the questions which we are grappling with. And we need uh, some support, so many researchers to help answer these questions. These are all program sites that are already there.
0: Thank you so much. We are almost out of time, but we were wondering if you could say a 30 second best advice you've received or any advice you have for today's trainees going on in the field of international nutrition.
1: I have many, but let me just summarize them for you. I think attitude matters, be open. Internships matter, take them seriously. Extend your network. Network really matters. I've always followed professors from all across global universities and not the college per se, Be multidisciplinary and work with humility. Sometimes we also often do overthink, but my sense is if you feel and your intuition says this will work, just get on with it. You will learn over time. Quality matters over quantity. Networking is what you really do together and not what you get out of it. I see a lot of young people doing networking just for getting a job and you're done with that person who helped you with that task. But networking is really about being with people who have nurtured you and will help you in your in your good and bad days. My last advice to everyone is that spend time in volunteerism and being a master of your craft. Be boundaryless and be indispensable. When you are in a multidisciplinary environment, being with people who you reach out to and learning new things, you will not know how much this will reap dividends in future. So don't restrict boundaries for yourself. If you have a question which is in your heart, open that door to the person you want to ask that question don't hesitate just go if you don't know something with humility just say i don't know it can someone help me with it oftentimes we don't network because we are hesitant we feel oh what will that person say don't do that just go but keep humility it will matter be a master of your craft i really want to see all of you in a way that people hunt you You don't have to hunt for people and people will hunt you only if you're a master of your craft. And one day someone else should be interviewing Sam, Nidhi, Kripa, and Elizabeth, just like you're interviewing me.
0: Thank you so much. I feel like we're going to have so many quotables from just that last 30, 60 seconds of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Sethi. I wish we had an hour to just talk about so much more, but I think we covered a lot of really important key points. Um, Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me here. Come visit, come live with the communities you work for, and you see how your lives transformed. My life transformed just like that. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. And thank you to the listeners of this podcast. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing researchers in international nutrition and global health. Thanks for listening, and many thanks to Elena Kerke for our theme music.